Good morning. Let's find our place. Stand together as we worship the Lord through song. As we sing out, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's sing this out together. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial fall. all the praise. Amen. Great singing this morning. You can be seated. Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church of Wixom. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. 101 Discipleship is a great way to get connected at FBC and to encourage each other in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to learn more about discipleship or to sign up, you can see Johnny Martin or Pastor Brad after the morning worship gathering. The Truth Tracker Grand Prix is coming up on Saturday, March 9th from 12 to 3 p.m. In preparation for the event, there will be a pit party on Saturday, February 24th from 6 to 8 p.m. where you can use various tools and equipment to make your racing vehicle with the help of our volunteers. This event is open to all children, teens, and adults, and we encourage you to invite your friends or family to participate in both events. If you have any further questions, please see Mike Murdy or Johnny Martin after the morning gathering. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday evening community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Also, next Sunday evening, February 25th, we are planning a special group gathering for all community groups here at FBC at 6 p.m. Mark this on your calendar and plan to join us for this special time together. Young couples, you are invited to participate in Marriage Mentoring. This is a one-year program designed to strengthen your marriage by partnering you with an experienced married couple for monthly biblical counsel and encouragement. If you are interested or have questions, please see Johnny after the morning worship gathering. There is a mandatory CPP training meeting next Sunday morning, February 25th, for all members who serve in children's ministry. Two of these classes are offered each year, and all members who serve in children's ministry are required to attend at least one of these two meetings. 
This includes working with anyone under the age of 18. Please see Johnny with any questions. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years through the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixton.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Well, good morning and welcome this morning. If you're a guest, a very warm welcome to you as well. Please, as we mentioned in the video, stop by our welcome station on the way out and pick up that free gift and let us connect with you as well. I do have a couple of announcements pertaining to children's ministry this morning. Again, perhaps you've seen in the video uh, or child protection training. Uh, The very next one of those is going to happen on Sunday morning, next Sunday, the 25th of February, and that will be at 9.45 during the Sunday school hour. So just as a way of note, there will be no modular class on that day, so there will be Sunday school here in the auditorium. Pastor starting points class will meet next Sunday, but those will be the only two Sunday school classes next week in addition to the child protection training. So if you work with children, you work with young people, anyone under 18 here in our ministry, please plan to attend that uh, child protective training next Sunday morning if possible. We also are in need of a few more volunteers in children's ministry, as always. Uh, In particular, we have uh, a couple of slots in nursery that we need to fill. Uh, If you are interested in helping there, please speak with Angela Victory uh, or myself about that. And then we also have a couple of openings in uh, junior church as well. So if you are interested in teaching our children in a semi-regular basis, please speak to myself about that. And finally, we have one of our biggest events on the children calendar coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks. That is our Truth Tracker Grand Prix. So next Saturday evening, uh, the 24th, as you've seen in the video, from 6 to 8 p.m., we're going to have a pit party where you can design and use some of the tools that the men have here to craft a little racing car. Uh, And then actually on the 9th of March, you will be able to race those vehicles. That event will be from 12 p.m. until 3 p.m. If you're interested at all, you don't have to be a child to participate. We do have an open category. Uh, So if you would like to beat me and win a trophy, you're welcome to uh, come and participate. If you do have any more questions or you'd like to pick up a kit car, uh, speak with Mike Murdy. He will be out the back at the end of our service this morning. Pastor, come and give us a few more updates, please. Good morning, everyone. Just a couple more things before we open in prayer. Last Sunday morning, we talked briefly about a mission trip that we are planning that is coming up at the end of May. The dates for that mission trip are May the 23rd 
through June the 4th. That is a mission trip for adults and teens. And because of the change, the delay in that trip, a few that were planning to go are not able to go. So there's room on the team. We have room for three or four more to come. And so if you're interested, we need to know that right away. We're we're expecting to purchase plane tickets by the end of February. So that means that we need to finalize the team um, in the next week or so. So please talk to one of the pastors today if you're interested in participating in that trip to Peru. And that's to the high jungle in Peru. It should be a very interesting and, uh, trip and a great opportunity to minister with our missionaries, John and Nisha Harris. In a couple of weeks, on March the 10th, we're expecting to have a baptism service. I'm very excited to baptize three of our adults that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And to, they want to make that public. And so we want to let you know that's coming up the 10th of March. If you're interested or if you have questions about baptism, you can see me after the service today. I'd ha- be happy to answer those questions for you. And uh, we'd be honored to add you to that list if you've not yet been baptized. And uh, we'd love to celebrate that together with you as a church family. Lastly, after dismissal today, immediately after dismissal, there will be a brief meeting in the cafe for anyone interested in participating in the choir for Easter. On Easter Sunday morning, our Resurrection Day service is really a lot of fun with a ton of music from different people and different groups. And we often have the choir sing and Jeremy needs to start working on plans for that in detail. So please meet him in the cafe immediately after dismissal this morning. Let's pray together as we begin. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather in your name and to meet as we worship Jesus Christ And as we uh, lift him up together, we ask that you would be glorified as we consider your word, as we look at the instruction of Jesus, his commands, his expectations for the subjects of his kingdom. May we take that seriously. Would you help us even as we sing to truly worship you, to think on our Savior, to lift him up together and to glorify him? Thank you for this privilege of gathering for worship. Thank you for our guests. We pray a special blessing on them today that they would be encouraged and strengthened in their walk with you. Help us as we seek to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together as we continue to worship the Lord through song as we sing out, Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ, be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ, in every look and action. Not I, but Christ, in every thought and word. Oh, to be saved from myself, dear Lord. Oh, to be lost in Thee. Oh, that it may be no more I, dear Lord, but Christ that lives in me. Not I, but Christ, to gently soothe in sorrow. Not I, but Christ, to wipe the falling tear. Not I, but Christ, to lift the weary burden. Not I, but Christ, to hush away the fear. 
for he has promised I too will rise. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in this gospel the church is one. We do not walk alone. We have his spirit as we press on to lead us safely home. And when in glory still I will sing of this old story that rescued me, grace to my Savior, the King of life, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace to my Savior, the King of life, I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Great truth, great singing this morning. You can be seated.
Thank you for that, Dan. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, but as you do, I want you to watch this video as an introduction to our message this morning. You and I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traders? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. with that this morning because you may have noticed a theme over the last several weeks of messages that Jesus is bringing radical thinking to the world. You think about his conversation in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus and he says to Nicodemus, you must, Nicodemus, be born again. And Nicodemus is overwhelmed with confusion. How does that work? I, I don't even understand what you're talking about, Jesus. Then he, we see him at the, with the woman at the well, and he says, Drink of me, I can offer you living water, whereby you will never thirst again. And she's overwhelmed. She doesn't understand. This is radical. This is different. And then Jesus goes and calls his disciples, and he says, I want you to leave everything and make more disciples. Leave everything. And they drop what they're doing, and they follow him to make more disciples. It's radical. And then last week we see these friends bringing this paralytic man to Jesus and dropping him down in front of Jesus and Jesus saying, not, you're healed, which is, I suppose, what they expected, but saying, you're forgiven. And the religious leaders going nuts, like, you can't forgive sin, that is God's thing. And Jesus says, just so you know, I am God, I can also heal. You're healed. It's radical. I mean, the people that Jesus is interacting with, Their minds are just spinning. 
And then this morning, we get to Matthew chapter 5, a well-known sermon preached by Jesus, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And you want to talk about radical, it is over the top. Jesus as the king, which is Matthew's view of Jesus as he presents in his gospel, Jesus as the king says, my subjects are radically different than the world around them. As the video said, they're traitors. They're, they're not doing the same things that everybody else is doing. Their lives look totally different. Their priorities are different. So we've been watching Jesus and kind of following Jesus as to where he is at. And we think from much that we can tell in Scripture that he's still in Galilee. He's definitely up on a mountain. Matthew chapter 5 that we're going to read here in just a moment says that um, Jesus went up into a mountain. Jesse, do you have that PowerPoint this morning? And Jeremy, would you maybe help him if he doesn't? Um, There's this place called the Chorazim Plateau, which is on the north west corner of the Sea of Galilee. And in that corner of the Sea of Galilee, the, the mountains are quite high for the area. And so there he is. Jesus goes up into the mountain so that he can speak to this massive crowd that is below him. And the stuff he shares with them is unbelievable. It's incredibly different than anything they've ever heard. And so what we intend to do over the next six weeks is talk about these truths from Jesus. Now, six weeks is not enough time to cover the whole Sermon on the Mount in detail. But what we want to try to do is break it down into six big principles, six big divisions. And what I would encourage you to do over the next six weeks for your Bible reading, for preparation, is to read through the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. You can read through the whole thing in about 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more than that, and just keep reviewing these things that Jesus says. This morning, let's start in Matthew chapter 5 and starting in verse number 1, where it says this, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, And taught them, saying, listen to what Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we want to do just that. We want to glorify you today. We want to respond correctly 
to your truth. We want to understand your word and what Jesus is saying in this sermon. And Lord, we want to apply it correctly because we want you to be glorified in our lives. We want our light, our, our light, the gospel light, to shine from us so clearly. But Lord, we confess we often cloud that light with our sin, with our selfishness, with our pride. Lord, today the words of Jesus are so convicting if we let them be. But many times we read these words and we give ourselves excuses. We justify our behavior for one reason or another. And yet Jesus is very clear about his expectations for his subjects. Would you give us a submissive spirit to your word and to your truth to get today? We yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and ask that he would fill us and teach us and change us today with his power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine with me for just a second learning a brand new game? Maybe you're learning a card game or you're learning a sport. One of the questions that you need to know early on in the game is this question. Do you want to score points or do you not want to score points? Right? I mean, if you're playing basketball, you want to score points. If you're playing golf, you don't want to score points. Right? Now, imagine if you're in the the fourth quarter or the... Uh, the third period or the end of the game, the last hole, and suddenly the rules change. Or suddenly you realize, wow, I've been misunderstanding the rules. I mean, just imagine how crazy that would be if the referee blew, blew the whistle, stopped the game and said, oh, forgot to tell you guys, low score wins, right? It would totally change the game. And this is what happens in this sermon Jesus doesn't change the rules, but Jesus says, guys, listen, you've been playing by the wrong rules for so long, you totally misunderstand the game, the contest. Can I just remind you of what the priorities are supposed to be? And to make matters worse and even more confusing, the Pharisees are on the field playing and they've got whistles. And they are changing the rules. They're changing them all of the time and they're changing them to be in their favor. You know, I used to coach and teach PE and I would often find myself playing with teenagers with a whistle in my mouth, you know, and every call, oh, I see how it is because you're on that team, right? You're biased, you're playing and you're refing. This is exactly what the Pharisees were doing and they were calling fouls on everybody except for themselves. Jesus turns the whole thing upside down and says, you guys forgot to read the rule book. It's been so long since you've understood what the kingdom of God is all about. This morning, we watched in the video about being a traitor. It's not that the American dream is wrong in itself, but the question is, what are you doing with it? We've been given incredible resources. How are we building the kingdom of Jesus? How can we in 21st century America obey the commands that he gave, the timeless commands of the Sermon on the Mount? This sermon was given to Jews, but it was not intended to be a Jewish sermon. This was intended to be a Christian sermon for those that were regenerated by the Holy Spirit Jesus was telling them to be radically different from religion. And for them, this is revolutionary. Remember, we're talking about people where everybody's essentially religious. 
These are the quote-unquote people of God. And Jesus says, forget religion, scrap that, and let's start all over. Let me just tell you what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Literally, they're, they're watching Jesus and they're listening to Jesus, and it's like he's from a different world. But he is from a different world, right? Jesus is saying, hey, here's how it works in my kingdom. Life is not about stuff. When you get to heaven, you're going to realize that. All the stuff is free. So life is not about stuff. Life is about what really lasts. It's like one commentator said this. It's as if Jesus went into the great display window of life and changed all the price tags at the last minute. Jesus has some really shocking things to say in his ministry. Remember John chapter 6, eat my flesh and drink my blood? That scared people. They ran away from him. He says, hate your parents. Give everything away. I mean, Jesus says these like totally radical and crazy things that, that maybe needed a little bit of context to understand what he's saying. But in this sermon, it's like, one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. You can be happy when you're sad, when you're poor, when you're abused. You, can, you should cut your hand off, gouge your eye out, play, pray in the closet. Don't give any thought for your daily needs. I mean, it's just like one thing after another. You talk about questions for the preacher. Like people are sitting there going, what? I got, I got, to, ask, I got to ask him about that one. I got to ask him about that one. Even the disciples are probably thinking, what is Jesus talking about? These statements are a shock to our system. But remember, Jesus is giving the manifesto of the new king, of his kingdom. We're keeping different scores now. The rules are changing. The Old Testament way is going away. The New Testament way is here. The new king is here to fix what went wrong. Adam's race failed. Jesus' race will prevail. It's interesting, if you go back to Matthew chapter 1, just back a couple pages, it says this, the introduction is, the book of the generation of Jesus. Like, this is all about the generation of Jesus. You and I are part of the generation of Jesus. In the Old Testament, Adam was kicked out of paradise for sinning. In the New Testament, the thief on the cross is welcomed in. It's all about grace. Jesus is clarifying the rules in the new kingdom. The curse is being reversed. Those who follow Jesus should live 180 degrees different than the world around them. We still live among the unsaved, but we love our neighbors intentionally. We still work with the unsaved, but we approach work as if it's a higher calling Heaven's way is a better way. We're in the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of righteousness. This is the kingdom of Jesus living that he's about to explain. And it is different. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen generation. He was not talking to Jewish people as Jews. He was talking to them as Christians. Peter said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy or separate nation, a peculiar, uniquely different people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers, as pilgrims, 
as travelers who don't belong in this world to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation so honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. What is Peter saying? You are to be uniquely different. You're separated for a pure purpose. You're called out of the nations as special. You're no longer in darkness but light. You did not have mercy, but now you have mercy. You are pilgrims that don't belong here. You are traitors. You've traded the old way of life for Jesus' way. How you live as a child of God won't make sense to the world around you, but it should have an eternal impact. That is the gist of Jesus' introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, again, presents him as king. This is the first principle of kingdom living. I told you we're going to give you six. Here's the first one. Be different on purpose. You might say be deliberately different. This is the first principle of kingdom living. Don't miss it. Jesus, this is the longest sermon. It's the biggest section of red letters in your Bible. Jesus is giving the manifesto of the new king. And his big first thought is this. Be deliberately different. You might say, how so, Jesus? How could I be different? Like what, what areas am I supposed to be different? Am I supposed to try to be as weird as possible? We see that in the world around us, don't we? People just say, I'm just going to be as weird as I possibly can be. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying be deliberately different in very specific ways. Number one, cultivate a different attitude. What attitude, Jesus? Humble selflessness. Humble selflessness. Jesus begins his sermon with blessings. You know this word blessing. It means happy, joyous, blissful, fortunate. There's a lot of things in our world that promise this, right? If you watch commercials, commercials often tell you, hey, you just got to have this thing. And when you do, you'll be happy. If you listen to politicians, they often tell you, hey, you just need me as your leader. Then you'll be happy. Our world offers pleasures of all kinds, but very few things actually deliver lasting happiness. Jesus lays out a formula for this, and it is very different. You say that word with me? It is very what? It's different. This is going to be radical, because here's what he says. Listen to these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, they that mourn, the meek. The spiritually hungry, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, and most shockingly, the persecuted and the reviled. These blessings are often referred to as the Beatitudes. Jesus does not say, do these things to get into my kingdom. This is not how you get saved. But when you're part of my kingdom, when you've been saved from your sin, this is how you should behave now isn't that different if you were to sum it all up and put it all together there's kind of a common theme we might use the biblical word lowly jesus says be lowly 
The world says, be proud of yourself, assert yourself, defend yourself, avenge yourself, flaunt yourself, define yourself. Happy are the rich, happy are the noble, the successful, the macho, the glamorous, the popular, the famous, the aggressive, the independent, the whatever. But Jesus says, happy are the lowly, the lowly. It's okay to be poor, hungry, crying, and hated, humble and compassionate, kind and teachable, quiet and reflective. You see, Jesus wants his followers to be deliberately what? Different. Deliberately different. Like him, by the way. Mark chapter 10 is a great passage of scripture. If you haven't memorized it, 42 to 45. Parents, if you're raising kids, this is one of those ones they should memorize. Here's what it says. But Jesus called them, the disciples to him and said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Jesus says, you understand how this works, right? In the world, the people who are in charge exercise authority. They tell people what to do. Verse 43, but so shall it not be among you. Your rules, Jesus says, are different. You say, well, wait a minute. Like, my personality is more like, you know, head-butting kind of personality, like bull in a china closet, like somebody needs to lead and I'm the guy or the girl. Jesus says, not so among my followers, not in my family, not in my kingdom, not in my church. Whoever will be great among you shall be your minister or your servant. And whosoever of you shall be chiefest shall be servant of all. Why, Jesus? That's radical. Because this is Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. How easy is it for us to think, wouldn't it be nice if some people would serve me once in a while? Wouldn't it be nice? People would just get things straight and serve me a little bit, like I deserve a little bit. Jesus says, no, those who would be great in my kingdom, those who would be leaders in my kingdom, those who are valued and rewarded in my kingdom and blessed, they're humble. They're selfless. They're deliberately different. That's the way of the king. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly. Jesus doesn't say, I'm powerful. I'm super smart. I'm authoritative. He says, I'm meek and I'm lowly. So watch me and learn from me. The Beatitudes describe a different kind of person. They perfectly describe Jesus, our master, our savior, our example. Living as a citizen in the kingdom of Jesus as one of his subjects requires some radical choices. Here's the first one, to be humbly selfless. You say, well, that's different. That's right. Jesus says, be intentionally, deliberately Different. Number two, what attitudes am I supposed to have, Jesus? How am I supposed to be deliberately different? Well, number two, I need to develop a different perspective. 
Jesus says, I need to look for eternal reward. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice and be exceeding glad when you're persecuted and reviled. Now that's different, Jesus. People don't normally do that. We don't normally rejoice and be exceedingly glad when we are abused Why would the king tell his subjects to do that? Well, he tells us there in verse number 12, I'm I'm teaching you to have an eternal perspective for great is your reward in heaven. There's a great reward awaiting. Paul calls this the Bema seat. It's sometimes referred to as the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. This is different than the great white throne judgment where believers are separated from unbelievers. This is the judgment for Christians. All of us will give an account of ourselves to the Lord. And by the way, I believe that fathers will give an account for their families and their marriages and that pastors will give an account for their churches to the Lord. What have you done with those that you were put in charge of? Do you ever think about that day? Jesus says, my followers... Think about this moment when they will give an account to the king. This is not about paying for sin. Sins are paid for. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But you will give an account for how you use your life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Jesus said in Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work shall be. You might say, well, <clears throat> I don't really get into rewards. Those are for kids. I'm not motivated by rewards, Brad. Can I just tell you something lovingly? On that day, you will be. Because these rewards are not for our glory. They're to bring back to our king and say, Jesus, only because of you and your grace. This is for you. This is for your glory. And if you're standing there empty-handed, suddenly you're going to feel differently about rewards and say, boy, you know what? Maybe, Maybe a little something to elevate my king, a little something to bring him more glory would be nice to hold in my hand right now, but I've got nothing. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the, the disciples, Peter and John, it says, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, the authorities had called the apostles together and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Well, that's different. I mean, I get, you almost can picture like Peter and John. They're like skipping down the road, you know. Like they've just been beaten and told, you can't preach in Jesus' name. And they're like, mm, we must be doing something right. Jesus bothered those people, those authorities. So I rejoice to be counted in his camp. That's different. Well, that's kingdom-focused living. So help me with this. Followers of Jesus cultivate a what? A different, can you say it with me? A different attitude. And they develop a what? A different perspective. A different attitude, a different perspective. What else should be different on purpose about people living in the kingdom of God? Well, number three, 
they maintain a different purpose, creating thirst for God. They maintain a different purpose. He says in verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Do you like salt? Do you like salty food? One of the questions on our community group study guide for tonight is about salty versus sweet. Holden read it to me. My mouth started watering. You know, I'm like, oh, I like both <laughs> together. Any snack really will work for me. Jesus says, are you salty? If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are in the family of God, you are salt. That's your identity. You are salt. But Jesus doesn't say, are you salt? He says, are you salty? Are you making a difference to those around you? Don't just be different, Jesus says. Be influentially different. Let other people be affected by the difference. Salt is good precisely because it is different. You can't make french fries more salty by adding more french fries, right? You need something else. You need something different. You need some salt. You see, what the world does not need is more anger, manipulation, political ambition, division, fighting, pride, self-promotion. The world doesn't need any more of that. What the world needs is something radically different. And Jesus says, affect the world around you. Now, this metaphor of salt, it's interesting. Jesus is the master teacher. He tells them, be salty, but he doesn't tell them what that means. He just goes on from there. So we're left to think about it. What's it mean to be salty, Jesus? Are you saying that we should be pure and white? Like salt, that would be good. I don't know that that's what he was after, but that might be a metaphor we could use. Or are you saying, Jesus, that like salt resists decay and fights infection, that we should resist the decaying world and fight the infection, push back on evil? Perhaps there's plenty of evil to push back on. And Christians need to voice a position of righteousness to the world around us. I don't know that that's what he's getting after. Some might say, well, Jesus is saying they need to add flavor like salt does to French fries. Christians should be the salt in this world. Job 6 actually has a really interesting verse. It says, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? If you've ever eaten a white of an egg with no salt, you would say what? Nope, no taste in that, Job. Maybe that's what he's getting after, that Christians are to add flavor to the world. Although I think most people think Christians are fun killers, fun haters. We don't add flavor, we take flavor. But I think the most important metaphor is this, that salt makes living things thirsty. It makes them thirsty. It's been said you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But you can add salt to his oats, then he'll drink. If he has enough salt, he knows he's missing something. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Well, that's interesting. A sweet savor in both. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. I think this is what Paul is getting at in context, that a Christian who's living out their Christianity will encourage other Christians. 
Right. That's the savor of life unto life that when I'm living out my Christianity, other believers will say, man, I'm encouraged. I'm inspired. I'm reinvigorated to live out my Christian life because of my interaction with that brother or sister. On the other hand, for unbelievers, if I'm living out my Christian life in front of them, I'm actually bringing them to a position of a decision. And that is either I'm rejecting that person as just too weird. The path of Jesus Christ is just too radical. Or there's something here I need to investigate. Our responsibility is to be the saver. Their responsibility is to respond to it. Does your lifestyle make people thirsty for God? David said this, that God has put a new song in my mouth even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. My song is so radically different. My way of life is so different that people see it. They're thirsty for God and they want to trust him more. Number four, followers of Jesus desire a different goal, the glory of God. You're familiar with this metaphor of you are the light of the world. What does a light do? A light works because it's completely opposite from darkness. If we, if we turned all the lights off in the room here, this light would shine brightly. You're, in fact, your attention would be attracted to it because it's radically different than the space around it. Here's what Jesus says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. It's obvious. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a candlestick. Why? So that it would be obvious Let your light shine like that. Now, as Jesus was teaching, he could no doubt see some cities and villages in the distance. It's interesting, right across the Sea of Galilee from where he was preaching was this community called Hippos. It's a little hard to tell, but if you look up here, this would have been kind of the view from the other side of the lake. That's where this city is at. This is the modern city. The ancient city is right there. You can see it right there. It's been excavated. As Jesus looks across the lake, he probably sees this city on a hill. And he probably sees some lights maybe in the, in the waning sunlight. As he's standing there, he might say, look at Hippos. See that city? You can't hide a city on a hill. And when the lights are on, you can't hide the lights. Everybody can see it. That's what you're supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what my followers are supposed to be. A city on a hill that the world can look to and say, oh, that's how life's supposed to work. Let's make it more practical. That's how marriages are supposed to work. Like those Christians I know. That's how parenting is supposed to go. Like those Christians I know. That's how you're supposed to handle money. Like those Christians I know, they're a city on a hill. And when they see the difference, he says, they will see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Jesus says, this is the goal. Be so different that people glorify God. Not to be weird, not to have some quirky identity to set you apart, but to be different from the evil world on purpose. For God's glory. See, if people are attracted to you because of how you live, something's wrong. They should be attracted to your Savior, to your God, 
Jesus said this in John chapter 3, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He's not saying they love darkness and hate you, believers. They hate him. He is the light that has come into the world. When we reflect his light, people, unbelievers might hate that, but believers will be attracted to it. He says in verse number 21, but he that doeth truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. It's about God and a relationship with God. Paul gave this testimony when he got saved. He was explaining in Galatians chapter one what had happened in his life. And he said it was so radically different. Here I was, the Christian killer. It's what I did for a job. Everybody knew it. I was terrible i was the chief of sinners the worst person there was paul said and then i got saved and everything changed it was so radically different that they did what they glorified god in me this is what jesus says make this your goal the glory of god so in closing today just a couple of questions that stem around this idea how different are you you might say i'm the weirdest person i know brad That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what Jesus was talking about. A different kind of difference, okay? Is your life marked by humility and selflessness? Like if we just did an anonymous survey in your home, would humility and selflessness make it towards the top of the description by your children, by your spouse? How about at work? Are they humble and selfless? You might say, well, it's just not my personality. Well, Jesus says this is where the blessings are at. I hate pride and I hate selfishness. So if you want blessings, you have to be lowly. Number two, do you ever think about the Bema seat? The judgment seat of Christ? As I mentioned before, men, you should be thinking about this every single day. I'm going to give an account for my marriage and for my parenting, for my home. Pastors certainly should be thinking about this every single day. But every Christian should think about it. How am I going to answer to Jesus for the resources I've been given? Am I using them to advance his priorities and expand his kingdom? Do I rejoice when I'm counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus? Thirdly, are others around you more thirsty for God because of you? Maybe, maybe we should ask it this way. Do others around you even know you're a Christian? And when they find out, are they interested in more? Or are they interested in less? When they find out you're a Christian, are they turned off to the gospel? Well, I, phew, I don't want that. That's the way Christians are. Or are they attracted to the gospel? Because of how you make them thirsty for God. And then lastly, how's your light shining? Is God getting glory because of you? Does anybody ever do this, do you think? Does anybody ever close their eyes to go to sleep and say, Thank God for that person. And put your name in the blank. (laughs) I'm inspired by their testimony. I'm inspired by their faith. I'm inspired by their love for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that person. Does that ever happen? If not, your light might be a little dim. 
Might need to be turned up just a little bit. Hey, there's Jesus. A little less like them, a little more like the Savior. There we go. Because can I just tell you the character of Jesus? Let me just describe for you the character of Jesus with nine words. You ready? Here it is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. And when a person exudes that kind of character, people are attracted. People want to know what is going on with you. There's so much love. It's like there's no speed limit on your love. You just keep loving more and more no matter what, which is exactly what Paul said, right? Against these things, there is no law. There's no speed limit. You can love as much as you want. You can be as joyful as you want. You can have as much peace as you want. You can be as gentle as you want, right? Have as much of the fruit of the Spirit shining out of you as you can. And the more you do, the more you look like Jesus. Elihu Burritt wrote this. Listen to this quote. No human, being, or no human being can come into this world without increasing or diminishing the sum total of human happiness. Not only in the present, but of every subsequent age of humanity. No one can detach himself from this connection. There's no sequestered spot in the universe, no dark niche along the disk of non-existence to which he can retreat from his relation to others, where he can withdraw the influence of his existence upon the moral destiny of the world. Everywhere his presence or absence is felt. Everywhere he will have companions who will either be better or worse because of him. It's an old saying and one of the fearful and fathomless statements of import that we are forming characters for eternity. How are you affecting other souls for eternity, you do this best when you are deliberately different. Lord, thank you for the message of Jesus. Thank you for not only saving us, but teaching us your expectations. Again, Lord, I ask that you would help us as we conclude this service to push back on our own justifications, to push back on our own excuses, even right now in our minds, Would you help us to focus on your truth and think, Jesus, I fall so far short of the right attitude. Jesus, I I don't think about the Bema seat and that day of reward as much as I should. I'm not motivated by that as much as I should be. I don't think I'm creating the thirst in people around me as much as I should, and I'm certainly not bringing you as much glory as I should by shining the light of the gospel on the world around me. Would you help us, Lord, to be convicted and to think about our responsibility rather than to push back and say, well, that's not my personality. I'm not in a position where I can influence others. My light is as bright as it can be or whatever, Lord. It's so easy for us to make excuse. Would you actually help us today to confess our sin? And to become the kingdom of Jesus subjects that he intended for us to be. And Lord, if there's somebody here who's not saved, they've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've never confessed and repented from their sin and trusted Christ alone. If there's somebody here like that today, would you help them to understand that they're among friends? We love them and we want them to experience salvation in Jesus Christ 
We'd be honored to show them in Scripture what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be part of God's kingdom. Lord, would you help them today to have courage to talk to somebody and to not leave without getting their questions answered about the gospel? Thank you for this time of worship together. We pray that you would bless us now as we conclude in your name. Amen. The message of the gospel is something that we have the opportunity to share with the world. As we close today, let's stand as we sing out Across the Lands. You're the word of God the Father From before the world began Every star and every planet Has been fashioned by your hand All creation holds together By the power of your voice Let the skies declare your glory Let the land and seas rejoice You're the author of creation, you're the Lord of every man, and your cry of love rings out across the land. Yet you left the gaze of angels, came to seek and save the lost, and exchanged the joy of heaven for the anguish of a cross. With a prayer you fed the hungry, with a word you stilled the sea, yet how silently you suffered that the guilty may go free. You're the author of creation, you're the Lord of every man, and your cry of love rings out across the land. With a shout you rose victorious, resting victory from the grave, and ascended into heaven, leading captives in your way. Now you stand before the Father, interceding for your own. From each tribe and tongue and nation, you are leading sinners home. You're the author of creation, you're the Lord of every man, and your cry of love rings out across the land, and your cry of love rings out across the land. The most important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
the truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.